Welcome to the Dr. Sex Fairy Podcast. I am Dr. Kabul Bhava and I am here to transform your life. Today we are talking about the future of sex. I have with me in the studio Sebas Penyoranda, host of the podcast The Sebas Perspective. Sebas is 21, I am 43. We see the world very differently. Or do we? Let's have that conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Sebas. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you very much. It's honestly true, truly an honor to be able to come on and represent my generation, my corrupted ass generation. Yeah, corrupted ass generation. <laughs> yes, you know, I got to say my generation has a lot of flaws. Obviously no one's perfect, you know. I'm not perfect myself. Um, but I do recognize that my generation has a lot of issues that come with it. We do things very differently compared to your generation. Oh, we're pretty screwed up too. Don't worry. Oh, I believe it. I know. I've seen it myself. You know, I look at my parents sometimes and I'm like, yup, I see certain inconsistencies there. But I definitely do believe that it's important to have those conversations. Absolutely. And since you brought up your parents, do you realize that I'm old enough to be your mother? I do realize that. It's actually kind of wild to think about. It's crazy. Now you are a Gen Z. I am a Gen X. I was born between the years of 65 and 80. You were born between the years of 97 and 2012. And in between our generations come the millennials. They were born between 81 and 96. We are not only different generations, we are separated by an entire generation. That's wild. Almost too because I was born in 2012. Uh, That's so, crazy. Yeah, it is. It is. It is isn't it crazy? How could you be born in 2012? Yes, I was born in 2012, you know, on a test tube. You're so crazy. Yeah, that I know. would make you ten. Yes, that would. I had to think about that for a second. I said, no, no, there's something wrong. That's there. really good mathematics, by the way, for such a short period of time. I do have good uh, skills in math. Do you know I had A's in every calculus class I ever took? You know, I'm very impressed by that. You better be. It was hard. So tell me, though, how do you think that our generations differ, and like in, primarily in what concepts do you believe that? Well, you know, let me give you an example. When I got married, I got married very young. And I got married in '98. Back then, online dating wasn't a thing. Back in India, you know, you have more arranged marriages than you do what I may call love matches, perhaps. But arranged marriages are a very misunderstood concept. I think they're just a free dating service and one that really works because your parents match you with somebody who makes sense, somebody where you're not. arguing and bitching about basic things like you are probably of the same educational level you probably come from the same part of society same socioeconomic level same religion perhaps so it takes a lot of those things that a lot of couples argue and bitch about out of the equation indian marriages tend to work better now some people have said to me maybe there are just as many unhappy people they just don't take the step of getting divorced i beg to differ I think it's a different idea about marriage. It's a different concept. It's a different worldview because there is no concept of a starter marriage in India. I mean, that to us is unthinkable. That to me sounds ridiculous. We marry for life. Absol- And, absolutely. You know, in our world we made for life. So, for us Indians, and you know, I'm a US citizen and have been actually for more than half my life. Um so technically I've lived here more years than I lived in in India but you know I grew up there. So so much of what I think is a product of how I was raised. And I don't think that will ever change. So I do see marriage as marriage for life. Now I ended up divorced. Look at the irony there. Um but I did have an American husband. Maybe I'll blame 
my divorce on him. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, you're the victim here. I'm the victim here. Absolutely. He, he was I never. Could do no wrong. He was never at fault for anything. Oh, well, he was at fault for everything. I was never at fault for anything, right? That's what we're going with on this podcast. But you know, we in India we see marriage as something you do for life. We see it as a marriage between families. We see it as something you don't walk out of not easily anyway. There'd better be a heck of a reason for you to end a marriage. And if I was to go tell my mother um, living in India that I was getting a divorce, my mother would get involved. She would say, wait a minute, let's talk about this. So you don't even really need a therapist as often as you do here because your family kind of function as a de facto therapist. So I see things differently in that sense. And then now that I'm divorced and in my 40s, I look around and the world has changed. Now you have online dating. It's a very swipe mentality. Now, we were talking to our friend Brian, who is the host of the Great Love Debate podcast, and he had said that, no, 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 swiping existed even in our time. Um, it was just different. We just walked around the bar a few times. We didn't really swipe on a phone, but we swiped in person. And that may be true, but I do think that the availability of people online in your phone, in the palm of your hand, has changed things. I do, I do. I think... Well, that's a lot to unravel, but let's let's take it back a bit to the topic about the marriage. I think that the biggest difference between the marriages today and even in the U.S. back then and the marriages in India is that the West and the East see marriage differently. For many Eastern countries and even many Latin American countries, marriage is a community act. It's not just an act between two individuals. It's an act between two families. It's uniting two families together and making a whole new family out of that. It's a community thing. Here, here in the West, in the United States, in, in the United Kingdom, and many Western countries, marriage is seen more of an individual thing. It's two people. It doesn't involve their families, really. It's just two people getting married, and that's it. Because of that main difference, I believe, is primarily why divorce is so expected in Western nations. This is just between the individuals. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to get involved with the family, with the mother, the father. They're relevant in the, in the marriage, as opposed to a lot of Eastern nations where... That is the very common norm. I was just surprised when I came to the U.S. and people talked about startup marriages. I honestly didn't understand what that meant. And when they explained to me, it baffled me because I said, why would you enter a marriage assuming it was going to fail? Aren't you dooming it to failure with that logic, Absolutely. with that perspective? But that just kind of says a lot about how marriages are seen here in the United States. They're expected to fail. It's not as sacred as it should be, as opposed to other parts of the world where it's a very sacred ceremony. Like you said, it's something for life. It's something that's so death do us part. I will stand by you no matter what, through thick and thin. Here in the West, it's just like a ceremony to say, I love you more than what I actually do right now. But a lot of people don't believe that till death do us part. A lot of people say maybe until the first couple obstacles arise and then it's time to divide the finances. It's time to divide the property, divide the kids. You take what's yours, I take what's mine. You know, that's that's actually pretty funny to me. It's always about me. It's always about the individual. My land, my house, my property, you know, my share. It's never about us, our things, our children, our family, our house. It's never about our us, we. It's always about me. And I think that's probably one of the biggest reasons that there's so many failed divorces in the United States, especially in my generation coming up, because that's the generation that is carrying on that tradition that the millennials have really started. Do you think that your generation views sex more casually than mine? I actually do. I actually do think that that is the case because 
sex isn't really valued in this society anymore. Sex is just seen as an act of exercise, really. You meet up with someone, you find them very attractive, you sleep with them, period, it's done. You don't even think twice about it. It could be within the first two hours of the evening. It could be within the first two days of meeting them. It's the same thing as a hug at this point. You meet them, hey, you're cool, how's it going? And you hug them. Same exact thing, except this time, you're having sex. So I think that's not as valued anymore as it should be, or as it once was in the past. So therefore, I do think that sex is a lot more casual nowadays than before. You know, as Dr. Sex Fairy, so many people look to me from around the world for advice on how to have good sex. And some of the things I tell them are quite boring because I tell them that a committed relationship gives you that sense of comfort, that sense of trust that you need to really let go in that situation. And it's important to be, to, to feel protected, to feel loved and valued, in my opinion, to have that aha moment in the bedroom. Absolutely. I think emotions changes everything. I think if there's no emotions involved in the intimacy of the relationship, it's boring. You know, it, it might be fun. It might be fun for Maybe a little exciting. bit. exciting. Yes, exciting or really lustful. Mm-hmm. It might be really lustful in the beginning. But lust isn't love. And I think that's a confusion that a lot of people have. They believe that when you're making love to someone, it's the same thing as just having sex. No. When you have sex with someone, it's just a random person. That's lustful sex. So what do you think about one night stands then? I don't agree with one night stands. I don't have them myself. I used to have them. I used to spend a lot of time having one night stands. But I realized that sex is a lot more sacred than just giving it to anyone that comes across my way. I think that sex should be something that should only be shared by people that truly care about each other and truly know each other. There's no way I could find out who someone is in the first two hours of the night. I find that refreshing. But do you know, I also find that very ironic because... Statistics show that Gen Zs are having less sex than Gen Xs. That's probably because too many people in my generation are too scared to go out and go meet people. Like you said earlier, we have the swipe mentality. If it's not instantaneous, if it's not presented right in front of us, we don't want to go get it. We don't want to go and see what's out there for us. We don't want to challenge ourselves and make ourselves uncomfortable and say, you know what? I find this really attractive girl sitting at that side of the bar or at this side of the coffee shop. I'm going to go introduce myself. I'm going to go talk to her, get to know her, and see where it goes from there. The fear of rejection. Yes. Too many people are afraid to get rejected in my society. I think that's ridiculous because rejection is a part of life. That is life. Life won't always go your way, but if you put yourself in those uncomfortable situations, who knows what you might find? Back when I was your age and uh, we were dating, I think it was more about finding that person in society, in the real world, and then, then getting somehow the courage to go up to them and talk to them and approach them. Absolutely. I think that if you don't approach, if, if you if you aren't confident enough to approach someone and kind of see what's going on there, what the chemistry is, then I don't even believe you should be trying to go out and find someone. I don't think you should be dating or just trying to have one night stands. I think you should really work on yourself primarily first, build up your confidence, know within yourself that you are a person of value, and then go out and offer that value to whatever significant partner you have. But I think the problem with what you're saying is that you're seeing dating as a means to an end where your goal is to find a meaningful relationship. Whereas many people your age and even mine, to be honest, are looking for fun. Absolutely. They're not looking for depth. And because they do that, I think that's why there's so many trust issues in our society today, because that fun comes at a price. Nothing's ever free in this world. We can't have the cake and eat it as well. There's always a cost to anything that we do. 
So for all the people that just want to go out and have fun, that's good for them. But that uh, that takes away from their ability to build a meaningful relationship later on. There is a reason that you said that there's people in my generation doing it and also people in yours. People in your generation should have learned from the mistakes that they committed when they were younger, but they haven't, which is why they're still in the position. Well, you know, history you has mentioned. a way of repeating itself. It does. If you don't acknowledge it, if you don't look back and say, okay, this is what was wrong. I have to fix it. I have to find a solution. So yes, people ha- like to have a lot of fun, but again, that fun comes at a cost. So when it comes to online dating, is Tinder really a booty call app? I wouldn't necessarily say it is. I think that Tinder could be whatever you make it to be. I've been the kind of individual that when I was really excited about one that stands, I would be able to find some. And I was actually able to find a relationship off of Tinder. I found a girlfriend that I dated for about a year off of Tinder. So I think you could be honestly whatever you make it out to be. I think it's just a great way to go out and meet people um, for maybe someone that doesn't have enough time to. Maybe someone that's primarily working most of their life or most of their days and doesn't really have the time to go out in everyday society and go interact with people. I think that's a good way to kind of get some, to know someone instantaneously and, um, and see what's there. It's hard for somebody like me to date online, to tell you the truth, because I am very well known locally. And I just think it's nobody's business what I do on my own time. Absolutely. And so I don't really want to put myself out there. It's not a lack of confidence. It's just a desire for privacy. Yeah, you value your privacy, mm-hmm. as you should, though, as you should, because we live in a world that is not about privacy whatsoever. Everything is on social media. Everything's on the internet. You have a supercomputer in your hand that you can look up any fact you want about the history of the world in seconds. There's no privacy anymore. You could Google anybody and find out where they live, what they do. You could you could find out so much about them. You could find out in two seconds if I have had parking tickets, if I have had uh, speeding tickets, if I've been pulled over for this or that. You can find out all of that nonsense in two seconds about anybody. It's actually kind of terrifying. It's to such think a about violation it. of our privacy. Agreed. Agreed. And I think that people don't even value their own privacy, to be honest, because the kinds of things that I've seen my generation post on social media is ridiculous. We we are way too open about our emotions sometimes. I think sometimes it's better to just kind of keep things to yourself. Be a little bit more reserved. Because this is a tip for a lot of men listening to this. If you're a lot more mysterious, if you don't just open up about every single thing that you feel or think, if you're a little bit more mysterious about yourself, that creates that creates intrigue. And intrigue is rare nowadays. Intrigue is sexy. Which makes you attractive. Uh-huh. No, I think that it's very interesting to me because... When I was your age, we didn't even have social media. We were still trying to get past dial-up internet. (laughs) We didn't have smartphones. And isn't it interesting how today no one can live without their phone? I know. This morning I couldn't find my phone. I had a panic attack trying to look for that damn thing because I couldn't leave home without it. Back in the day, we didn't even have cell phones. And when we did, they looked like, you know, what cordless phones at home look like now. They were big. Mm-hmm. They weren't easy to travel around with. Back on September 11th of 2001, I found out about what happened with the Twin Towers while I was in the hospital uh, working as a medical student. And pre-medical student, actually. It was a long time ago. So I wanted to call my family, and I realized I didn't even have my phone. I had left it in my car. Now, I had already been away from my phone probably for three or four hours at this time. Can you imagine today anybody being away from their phone voluntarily for that long? It's just a different way of life now. It is. It's because everything is digitized today, but it is possible. It is possible to kind of detox yourself away from social media, from all those 
applications that people think are impossible to do. For example, I've done this myself. I'm speaking from experience. I'm a Catholic man. And for Catholic Lent, it's a 40-day sacrifice of anything for the Lord God. And I decided to sacrifice social media for about two months. No social media apps whatsoever. No interaction with the outside world. Just me, myself, and my own little bubble. And I'm saying this as a man who's done it. It is entirely possible to do. 100%. Is it simple? Not necessarily. But it is doable. And it's actually, I believe, really beneficial. Because I'm a lot more calmer now. I'm a lot more focused and present. I notice that a lot of the times when I speak to people, they're not really present living in the moment. They're caught up on what's going on in their phone. They're caught up on what's going on in the digital world, even though that the digital world isn't even a real place. It's not a real place. Do you know, I see couples, especially younger couples, they'll be out to dinner and they'll both be on their cell phone looking at social media. I'll tell you what, that's despicable. It blows my mind. It is truly despicable that they can't just enjoy the presence of the moment. Because I truly believe that the connection between a man and a woman is one of the most purest connections on the entire planet. It's so natural. It is uncorrupted. You can connect with any woman and a man can connect with any uh any woman or man, and it's truly amazing. It is absolutely, truly amazing how that connection can happen. And to take that connection away, to find out what's going on with the Lakers in the heat in the middle of the game, it's baffling to me. I actually went out on a date, an ill-fated date, I should call it. And trust me, I don't date much at all. Uh, this was a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago. And because a couple of years ago was COVID, it's hard to believe that COVID's already been in our lives for two years at this point. But, you know, I went on this date with this guy. We're at a nice steakhouse. Now, why the steakhouse had TVs, I'm not exactly sure. But he was looking over my back at the TV, at the game. I found that so offensive. I never went out with him again. It's disrespectful. It's very disrespectful. Presence is not just rare, but again, it's also attractive. It's Mm -hmm. very attractive. Just like being intriguing is very attractive. The way to be attractive, I believe, is by doing everything that the rest of the world doesn't do. No one's intriguing anymore. No one's present with themselves. No one is direct with what they want. No one has open communication. No one is honest. No one just lays out their intentions, and no one says what they truly believe. Well, you know, I feel that I feel compelled to keep certain parts of my life private. For instance, I don't discuss my family on social media. I don't show really any pictures of my family on social media. I feel that certain parts of my life are sacred, and I and I like to keep them that way. I feel that too much is public anyway, and I, I feel that on social media there are people who almost pimp out their kids, and I'm sure I'm going to piss a lot of people off by saying this, but I'm not going to whore my kids out to get likes. I'm just not going to do that. To me, that's that's beyond despicable. It is. Because essentially, you're using your kid as a prop. Yes. I refuse to do that. Why? Like, Why would you put your child... Because people don't realize that children are innocent. They're very innocent. They represent innocence. Naivety. They represent not having a lot of perspicacity about themselves not having perception about anything that goes around them. That's why the parent, the adult is there to guide them, to slowly take away the innocence and integrate them into the world. So when parents are purposely pimping their kids out and using them as props to 
post their validation. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with that. You know, I was talking to somebody, you know, who's a, I think something in digital media. I can't remember exactly what their official post was in that company, but they said to me, you know, you need to put more of your personal life on there. And I said, oh my God, I'm already so public. What more can I possibly put on there? They said, why don't you put your kids on there? I said, what do my kids have to do with my practice? And they said, well, that humanizes you. I said, no, there's plenty else that humanizes me. I don't need my kids to do that. Thank you very much. Agreed. Like, your kids have nothing to do with the business. Like, what the hell? And, and what? I don't, I don't think that anyone that goes to your practice is really concerned whether you have kids or not. I think they're just concerned if you could perform your job Yeah, I don't adequately. need to get pictures and stories of me in the car line. I don't need to get pictures of my kids picking up Easter eggs and all that just to look warm and fuzzy. I don't need to be warm and fuzzy. I'm Dr. Sex Fairy. <laughs> right? I'm fun. I don't need to show my kids. I mean, that's silly. But you know, 20 years ago, this wasn't a conversation. No, it wasn't. And that has changed now. Because back then, I mean, of course you didn't show your kids. Why would you? I mean, we had to use a camera to take pictures. We didn't have smartphones. You know how different that was? Now everybody's documenting everything. We're taking stories and we're posting this and posting that. None of that crap existed. And I see people constantly photographing food. Have I done it sometimes? Yes. But I do it once in a blue moon. I see people who cannot get through a meal without taking a picture. That's just silly. It really stems to me from the idea that everyone wants to feel validated nowadays. They want that validation. Look at my fancy meal. Look they, at where they I'm They want eating. to feel who important. Who gives a damn what you're eating? Exactly. I think, I think it's that validation that they want that drives them to do certain activities. Sometimes questionable activities. I know that everyone has definitely seen... Someone on the middle of the beach or on the middle of the road being filmed and doing some activities that I myself consider very questionable and wonder why on the surface of the blue moon would anyone want to try and do those things. But at the end of the day, it's just for the likes. It's for the comments. And again, my generation is guilty of it. I'm definitely guilty of it, you know, in the past. But again, it's about acknowledging it. Too many people don't acknowledge it because they have very big egos, they're very prideful and they don't want to admit that they've done something wrong because that would mean that they're either not good enough or it would just attack the pride and high self-esteem that they have about themselves. But there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that you've made mistakes. I think that's something my generation could definitely work on is acknowledging mistakes. You know what your generation needs to stop doing is twerking on TikTok. <laughs> I mean, come on, people. Come on. Seriously, there's not, more to your lives than shaking your butt in front of a camera. I'm not going to lie. I really question the parents of... Uh, of those young ladies that decide that it's perfectly reasonable to show um, their genitals or things that make them a woman to the world. For me, I would never want to date a woman that does that. I would want to date a woman that values herself enough to save that for the bedroom, to save that for a specific individual, mm-hmm. but not a bunch of strangers on the internet she doesn't even know. Do you know what I find very hypocritical about things like Instagram and TikTok and everything? Now, let's talk about TikTok, for instance. I have a new account there, 10 days old at this point. And uh, for those of you listening, it's Dr. Sex Fairy. You know, I'm keeping things consistent. So I posted my first video and it went completely viral. And then another one and then another one. And so, you know, 2.5 million views, 2.1 million views, all that. And then I say the word erection and suddenly my viewership drops. What the hell was that about? If not shadow banning, 
I said the word erection in a medical sense. Okay, I'm wearing scrubs and a white coat. I'm not twerking. I'm not doing anything questionable. I'm standing in a medical office speaking in medical terms, right? But when I said erection, my next few videos have dropped down to 10,000, 30,000 views. Now you may say, well, how ungrateful. That's great. Yes, but when you're getting 2.1 million views, 2.5 million views, and suddenly you say the word erection and your viewership drops while your followers have increased. I have almost 100,000 followers at the time of this recording in 10 days. How can I possibly have lower viewership of my videos than when I started and had no followers? You know? We have to look at who runs these platforms. I mean, what is that about? Who runs these platforms? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. And what the, are the agendas that they have for the platform? For applications like TikTok and even Instagram or even Facebook, those are platforms that their agenda primarily revolves around making people feel happy about themselves, about feeling validated, feeling like they're at the top of the world because they're using that platform. Because if that's how they feel, the dopamine hits in their brain just are increasing, increasing more and more and more, the more consistently they use the applications, which is why people get addicted to the social media because of the dopamine hits. But you know, I just get irritated coming back to the same thing because it's bothering me on a primal level, I guess, because I came across some videos where they show women breastfeeding with their nipples showing big time. And I'm not going to argue with women about whether or not you can breastfeed in public. I'm a mother. I've had children, you know, I get it. But these women who are showing their nipples and everything in those videos, when you click on their account and you look at them, in the videos that don't have the kids, they're twerking, they're doing very sexually suggestive things. So basically, they're using the baby to justify nudity, and that's okay. But I talk about medical terminology and how to help people have better quality of life, and that's suddenly a problem. And there's something very wrong with society. When you can be intentionally showing your nipples for a fact and for followers. And here I am trying to educate people and my followers and I'm not getting the views because I said something that's technically not an okay word. Maybe the CEO and CTO of TikTok doesn't want you to help them get a bigger penis. I know it's sad though, because you know, I could have them, you know, have a pretty epic penis. Yes. you can, And you, one that works well. How about that? Yeah. Help them, help them get that Goliath level uh, introduction into the sex world. You know, have them satisfy their, their wife to the absolute brink. And maybe they just don't want to be happy like that. I don't know. It's just, I don't get that about social media nowadays. Anyway, sorry, I don't mean to go on and on about it. It's just something that bothers me. What can I say? Again, we have to look at who runs this and what their agenda is. Just like with any other institution. It's who runs it and what their agenda is. The agenda for most of the time, for most of these applications, most of these institutions is one simple thing, get people in the door, get people using my thing, do whatever it takes, because that's where the money is. Another big difference between your generation and mine is that when it comes to porn, in my generation, people had to go buy a magazine, they had to go buy a VHS tape and put it in a video player, you know, one of those things. Mm -hmm. And now it's everywhere. Now Pornhub and all these websites, it's so easy. I think it's too much access. I think there's too much variety and too much access because women question why men don't want to be loyal most of the time. Well, from the time that a kid is 13 nowadays to the time that he's a grown man at 18, he's spent his teenage years looking at dozens and dozens of different women, different looks, different shapes, 
races, different maneuvers. It's baffling. So how do women expect for men to want to keep just one woman in their life when they've had a variety for five years? And there's a lot of men that continue to watch pornography even with their significant other. So you got to ask yourself why. And I'm not bashing pornography at all. I'm just I mean, thinking I am. that access is different <laughs> because I don't want people saying, oh, she's bashing pornography. I'm not. I'm just saying that, again, it's very readily accessible compared to when I was your age. Agreed. It is more accessible. And I wonder if on some level it may be hurting relationships. I think... I definitely do think, I think it's hurting relationships. anything is okay in moderation, I suppose. But, you know, I'm not a consumer of porn personally, but, you know, I'm I'm okay with it. I just think... It's too much nowadays. It's just too much. I think relationships are hurting. I think self-confidence, you know, poor, poor, what do they call it? Body negativity, not body positivity. I think there's a lot of that now um, because people feel that they have to live up to that. And they see the women in that having those crazy orgasms immediately. And, you know, it's not as easy for a woman to orgasm as it is for a man. So it takes a little bit of effort. And I think that this starts a vicious cycle almost because the woman feels she has to have that dramatic, you know, orgasm. So she's going to fake it. And then because she's faking it, she's rewarding bad behavior. Yes. And so the guy thinks he's doing a great job and he's going to keep doing what isn't working. And let's say they break up. Let's say that they end that relationship. Then the guy's going to take that validation that he received to the next relationship. To the next relationship. And it's just a cycle that keeps on going and going and going. No one wants to break the cycle. Yeah. And then when it comes to, you know, porn stars again, I have actually an episode titled How to Get a Porn Star Penis. It was tongue in cheek. So I do penis enlargement. I do a lot of penis enlargement and I do it very well because what I do is I am enlarging the penis instantly, but I'm also doing a procedure whereby there's long-term improvement. I'm not saying permanent improvement, but long-term improvement. So I had a patient who came in and he had heard my podcast about how to get a porn star penis. So he missed the humor in that. And we go through the consultation. He's deciding to do this. And then he said, is that much going to make sure I get a porn star penis? So I looked at him and I said, how big are you trying to be? And he had a completely unrealistic idea about what his penis should be. Now, most men are not aware of the fact that a woman wants a penis that's about 6.3 inches. They are trying to get a penis that's, I don't know, 8, 9, 10 inches. They want the foot long at Subway. They want the foot long at Subway, yeah. And, you know, again, I think porn has a lot to do with that. Yes, it does. Because we start comparing each other. If you're a kid, you're a 13-year-old boy, and for the next five years of your life, you constantly see that the only guys that are satisfying women on pornography guys that have massive towers. How are you not supposed to compare yourself to that? And by the way, fun fact, some of them come to me. Yes. Those aren't real. Yes. I've heard from very in-depth conversations that they're not real. But point is, if you're always seeing that someone has a tower and that's the only way that they're satisfying the woman, how are they not supposed to compare themselves? It's irrational to not believe that you would compare yourself to that. Absolutely. So therefore... We teach men that the only way to satisfy a woman is not through foreplay. It's not through taking your time, being sensual, you know. Because honestly, I have my own personal opinion. But my personal opinion is that, you know, oral sex is better than regular sex, like penetration. 
But that's just me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very different individual. I know that not everyone thinks like me. But I think that if more men valued oral sex and then began the penetration, more marriages would last. I agree. Yes, I think they would. But you know what? Porn teaches one thing. You get in and you get out. You get in, have a lot of penetration fun for about the next five minutes, and then you skedaddle. You bounce. And I think that that's an issue. Because then women don't get satisfied. I know, I've known that there's a lot of women nowadays that can't be satisfied by a man. Because not just do they not know what they're doing in the bedroom, but most of the time they have erectile dysfunction. Yes, and that's where I come in. That is where you come in. So, I mean, you must be happy about it, though. You get a lot of business, you get a lot of money. No, you know, I can get enough business and enough money other ways because I also do skin rejuvenation and hair restoration. And that part of my practice is alive and well. But I do think that I help a lot of people because here's the thing. Sexual dysfunction has always been a taboo topic to discuss. I have brought that discussion to the kitchen table. I have brought that discussion to, you know, that bar conversation between friends. I am trying to take the shame out of it. And by doing that, I am helping people address the fact that there is even a problem to begin with because so many of us are in denial, men and women alike. I am here representing both. So when we realize that there's a problem, there's no reason to suffer through it. No. Why not fix it? Exactly. And my entire concept of Bava Medical and of Dr. Sex Fairy is that I don't believe in Band-Aids. I don't prescribe Viagra and Cialis. I really don't. I feel that what I do treatment-wise fixes people long-term. So why would I give them a Band-Aid? I want people to get better from the inside out. And, you know, you're 21 years old. Now, an interesting fun fact is that 20% of men in their 20s suffer from erectile dysfunction. And people may think it's all psychological. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. Dysfunction can begin at any age. And as we get older, that proportion increases. 10% for every decade of life. So I want even men your age to realize, my Gen Zers, that if there's a problem, call us. We can talk about it. Because why suffer through it? Why live that life of, you know, of shame, of embarrassment, lack of pleasure? Why? Life is short. We might as well enjoy it. We might as well be healthy. And maybe if you come to the office sooner rather than later you can have a more meaningful life, a more meaningful relationship. So yes, I help people with ED, but I'm not promoting dysfunction. I'm actually helping people avoid it. I actually just released an episode on this topic about insecurities and how insecurities hold us back as people, regardless of your gender. Because we all have insecurities. We all do. We all do. No one is absolutely perfect. No one is not guilty of being wrong of making mistakes and i think that the number one way to get done and get rid of insecurities is to confront them is to even acknowledge that they're there in the first place absolutely and then seeking ways seeking methods to resolve it because if you don't if you just keep on ignoring it this is why i despise um pills when there's someone has an issue and people just prescribe them pills because pills just make them forget about the pain or the issue momentarily, but it doesn't fix anything. I want people to go out and fix themselves because you absolutely can. And there's people that will help you fix yourself. I mean, I exist as a perfect example, Mm -hmm. but only if you go 
put your ego at the door yeah. and say, I have an issue and I want to solve it. That's it. That's perfectly okay. You know, I shot a video earlier today about incontinence. And that's a great segue into what you're talking about because women don't even accept the fact that they have incontinence. Forget about men and ED. That's a whole other can of worms. Women are leaking all the time. Do you know in Japan, adult diapers outsell baby diapers? This is a worldwide pandemic all its own, yet no one talks about it because it's not a sexy topic to discuss. It's embarrassing. It's urine. It's, uh, you know, it's just, I don't want to talk about it. They brush it under the rug like everything else. So what happens is that one in four women suffer from incontinence. Um, women over 50, even more so. 75% of women over the age of 65 suffer from it. Yet, do you know how many people go talk to the doctor? 45%. I mean, think about it. That's baffling to me. You have a problem, you're suffering, you're leaking, and you don't do anything about it. And do you know, when I ask them about it, because I treat as many women, I, I promise you, I do a lot of vaginal rejuvenation. And when they come to me, I don't just say, okay, here's your O-shot, swipe a card, go. I talk to them because I always want to know their story and how I can truly help them have a better life. So when I ask them about incontinence, I don't think even 15 or 20% bring it up on their own, unless I ask about it. And then they all deny it. Just about all of them deny it. No, no, I don't have incontinence. So I say, do you dribble when you sneeze? Do you dribble when you cough? Well, yeah, I do that. Okay, well, that's incontinence. And they're not addressing the fact, how are they going to fix it? And then you know what happens? Then they're embarrassed because they're smelling of urine. They don't smell good. They don't feel good. They don't want to jump on a trampoline. They don't want to go have fun with yeah, somebody. they don't feel sexy. Because they don't feel sexy. A man goes down on them. They're no, 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 don't go down on me. Well, what's that going to do for the relationship? Yet it's fixable. I mean, I do vaginal lasers. I do acoustic wave therapy. I do the O-shot. So much I do to fix it. And long-term, this is not a Band-Aid. This is a proper fix. This is helping women lead a more meaningful life in so many ways. It's not just about the bedroom. It's about confidence everywhere else in life. And they don't even do that. So people are in denial so much in society when they, there are so many tools to help them. Like when you go to AA, the first thing you have to say is, I am so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic. You have to admit before anybody can help you. There mm -hmm. has to be that self-realization. There has to be. There will never be a problem solved if you don't even acknowledge that it's there. I always tell people, and this goes against everything that society tells us to think, but I always tell people, no one is coming to save you. You have to learn how to be your own hero in the movie, how to be your own hero in life. I love that. You know, no one's coming to save you. If you don't try to save yourself, no one will come and do it for you. So as we're talking about this, if you don't try to fix the problem, no one's going to come and do it for you. It's not that no one cares. It's just that it's not their responsibility to do it. You have to hold yourself accountable in life. The people that fail in life is mainly because it's their fault. Yes, there's circumstances. Yes, there's unfavorable curveballs thrown at you in life. Because no one always has favorable circumstances. Some people do, some people don't. That is just how life works. But that doesn't mean that that's an excuse to not get to where you want to go, to not live the life you want to live, and to not fix the issues that you have. You should always try to become the own hero in your own movie. What a way to end this podcast. I couldn't have said it better myself. See, we have so much about us that is different, yet so much that is the same. Agreed. 
Thank you, my friend, for coming on my podcast, and I look forward to having you back again. I'm very much looking forward to it. Oh, Thank you so much. Oh, and before we leave, how do people find you? People find me if you look on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of the big streaming platforms. You go to the Sales Perspective podcast, and you will find me. Also, if you look at Instagram or TikTok. At the Sales Perspective, you'll find me there. We like to have a lot of hard conversations, the conversations no one else wants to have about in the society. We like to say what people need to hear and not what they want to hear. So if that's the kind of demographic that you're looking for, please come and join me. And that's why you're here and why you'll be back. Thank you very much for the invitation. Thank you. Until next time.